I want to ask a question for us this morning. Is church necessary? I know we're all religious, and we're like, well, of course church is necessary. Of course it is. I'm a religious person. I want to ask this serious question. Is it really necessary that we come here and do what we do at church? Faith is an individual thing, right? Faith is an individual thing. You become a Christian not by becoming part of an organization. You don't become a Christian because you were born into a Christian family. You don't become a Christian because somebody else is a Christian and you're around them. Faith is an individual thing. You become a Christian because you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you. Is the church needed for that? Probably not, right? And then we look at this day and age that we are in, and again, we have these, all these technological advances, right? So there is, we have access to so much spirituality around us. Is it necessary that we come and do what we do on a Sunday morning? I mean, think about it like this. Again, I love these kids leading worship. These kids are amazing. But let's just be honest. Any one of us could go onto YouTube or Spotify and we could listen to far better Christian music online, right? And the best part about watching online and going to find music online is you could get your favorite style of music. So you may be somebody who's like, man, I'm all about Hillsong or Elevation or whatever it is. Or maybe you're like a City of Light or, or Sovereign Grace. You could go find your favorite style of music. You don't have to listen to whatever they sing on Sunday morning. That may not be your preference. Is it necessary that we come to sing songs together? What about preaching? Now, I'm a preacher. I'm going to tell you a secret. There are far better preachers, far better communicators, far better teachers that you could watch online than what you're going to get on an average Sunday morning in a local church. I'll be honest with that. There are better teachers and communicators. And then I start thinking about, when we come to church and we're with all these people, can we acknowledge people can be messy? People can be darn right difficult. How many of you have ever seen a hypocrite in the church? There's a few of us in here that sometimes we say we believe something when we act a different way. And then we come into the, fa the fact that sometimes people are just annoying You've got the guy who clips his fingernails during church. Like, that's weird. Who does that? I'm not judging you if you do it, but that's just weird. People do that. And what about the fact that you come into the church and people have all different opinions about everything? They have a different opinion about who's going to make the Super Bowl. Of course it's not going to be the 49ers. Of course it's not going to be. We have a different opinion on, on uh, politics, on, on, on all sorts of things. We come to church and we think, well, I deserve to get noticed. I deserve to be honored because I'm great. I, I'm, I'm not getting the respect and the value that I think I deserve in the church. Other people give that value and respect. What about me? People can be messy at church. So let me ask, if we can, if we can worship God through song elsewhere... If we can get far better teaching elsewhere, if people are messy and difficult, is this necessary? Do we need to come and do this? How about we go beyond just this 
uh, access to spiritual stuff. What about pragmatically? Like, I don't know, people have probably said this for generations, but we are probably the busiest generation ever, ever. Anybody else feel that? Like you're just running ragged? I mean, we've got our job, we've got our second job, we've got our kids, we've got school, we've got our friends, we've got our hobbies, we've got all these things going on. We are working more than ever. And sometimes it just comes to Sunday morning and we're like, man, I'm just tired. I just need a day of, of rest. I want to sleep in, uh, maybe, maybe watch the game. Pragmatically, like, man, wouldn't it be great for me just to be able to enjoy that time, take a day off, go play at the lake, catch up on some of the chores that I've missed? And then what about this? What about how sometimes we feel like we have these needs? And have ever had this where you feel like, man, I've got these needs and I don't feel like the church is meeting my needs. Again, these are valid things. We have things we feel like, uh, you know, I, I need these things meet, but we're not finding our needs met at the church. Or what about this? Because most of us in this room are really smart that we know the way that the church should be done, right? Well, I know this is how church should be done. And guess what? The church isn't doing things the way I think they should be done. Is it necessary that we come and do this? And what about this? What about leaders? Leaders are constantly failing. It's almost like once a week we hear about some, uh, some world-known leader some high-profile Christian who falls off the deep end. Destroy their ministry, their testimony, their career. And even the leaders that don't jump off the deep end, listen, here's the truth. Leaders are not going to live up to your expectations. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to fail you at times. Is this necessary? Is church necessary? Could we live our life without it? Again, we're spiritual. We would never acknowledge that. But how many of us, by our actions, live as though church is not necessary for us? Now, let me just say this. The church is imperfect. 100%. Church is imperfect. The moment I joined a church... It was imperfect. The, mo the moment you stepped into the church, it was just as imperfect because none of us are perfect. But here's the thing. Scripture has a lot to say about church, about this of what we do as a group of people. In fact, in the book of Acts, I'm so excited. We're going to start studying the book of Acts starting next week. I don't know how many weeks we're going to be in this series. It might be, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'm excited for that series. But in the book of Acts, you see the very beginnings of the church, the foundation of the church, and you see the church being birthed, where the Holy Spirit descends on 120 believers who are in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends on them, they go and they, they, they preach the gospel, and scripture says that 3,000 people believed the gospel and placed their faith in Jesus and became Christians. You know what it says right after that? That that same day, 3,000 people were added to the church. You see the correlation here? There's a correlation here. Since the beginning of the church, it's been the same process that God saves people and puts them into the church, right? This is the way it's happened since the very beginning of time. God doesn't add people to the church without saving them. 
And God doesn't save people without adding them to the church. There's a connection between uh, our faith and, and the church. In fact, throughout the New Testament, you see this again and again and again. You've got believers. You've got people who place their faith in Jesus, Christians. And what does God call them? He says, you're now a part of the family of God. You are part of the body of Christ. Romans 12 says, just as there are one body with many parts, and they don't all have the same function, we individuals, Christians, we belong together. That see, we who are many, we're individuals, we're on our own. We belong to one body. We are members of one another. You see this connection between our faith and us belonging together. And then I think about the mission of God, the mission of God to restore hope to the world, to help people find abundant life through Jesus, forgiveness and salvation. Guess, guess who Jesus gave that mission to? He gave it to the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, speaking to the church, the apostle Paul says, we, Christians, the church, we are his ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us, the people of God, that others will be reconciled to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. Listen, the church, us, this organization that is imperfect, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the hope of the world that they would find through Jesus. Church is hard. It's not perfect. It's not going to meet all of your needs but I think church is extremely important to Jesus. And the question then becomes, what should our attitude be towards this imperfect organization that we call the church? This January, we've been in this series on priorities, trying to figure out as we begin 2023 and set some goals for the year, how do we get our priorities in line? We started a few weeks ago looking at Matthew chapter 6, where we said, Jesus said, I want to give you abundant life. But he said, you've got to get your priorities straight. That you focus first and foremost on God and his kingdom. And you trust God to work out all those other things. That's the first priority. We looked at the second week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 5. I said, we've got to prioritize the right things in our relationships. Where so many times the world tells us, focus on your rights. Focus on the way people treat you and what you get out of the relationships. And God says, no, we focus on our responsibilities. And if we would focus on our responsibilities and our relationships, man, God would do something beautiful in that. Last week, Pastor Jake was in Matthew 25, and he talked about how we prioritize uh, wise stewardship of our resources. And today, <laughs> you know what I got to talk about? I get to talk about prioritizing this, the church. This morning, Jake read for us a passage out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a letter written to a group of Christians uh, that basically the, the, the letter is trying to say Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything else. He's better than legalism. He's better than, than, than Jewish customs. He's better than the ways of the world. Jesus is better. And so we get to chapter 10, where Jake read for us this morning, and the author spends 23 verses telling us that Jesus had pay, has paid the price for our sin. And because he's paid the price for our sin, he's gone into the holy place where he has his access to God himself. 
And because Jesus has paid the price for our sins, that means that you and I, we can enter that holy place, that we have access to God because Jesus has died in our place and suffered for our sins. That's pretty awesome. That's good news that we, individually, all of us, we have access to God. Now, here's the thing, though. The book of Hebrews was written to a bunch of Christians who were going through a a difficult time. They were being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. These Christians were being thrown into prison because of their faith. They had their property plundered because they claimed to be Christians. And what happens, and I don't know if you've been in that situation, is as these people are suffering, they're kind of getting exhausted. And they're like, man, this Jesus thing, is it really worth it? Like, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to, I'm trying to live for him, but I'm just suffering all over the place. This is hard. In the midst of that difficulty, there's this very real temptation. And these people are thinking, maybe we should go back to our old ways. Maybe we should give up on faith. Maybe we should give up on the church. And really, our text today, the author is kind of like a coach. His team is falling behind, and he's trying to rally his team to say, listen, we're in danger of giving in. Don't give up. We've got to to persevere to the end. I think, think, what does Pete Carroll say? You don't win in the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter. You win in the fourth quarter. I mean, that is what the author is trying to say. He's saying, listen, people, don't give up. We've got to keep pushing forward. The author is like the captain of a battalion headed into the battlefield. He's trying to marshal his troops to say, listen, don't, we've got to hold the line. Don't give in. We've got to keep pressing forward. Hold the line. Don't let the enemy take any more uh, space. The author is a leader with a little bit of rebuke, rebuke to the people, saying we can't give up. We've got to rally around one another. Really, this message today, that not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. So we're going to start in this passage. We're going to look at the problem. Verse 25. This is what it says. He says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. You see that word habit. There's a saying in the 1950s that said it takes 21 days to start a habit. Now, that was old research. The new research I found this week said it can take anywhere from 18 to 264 days to make a habit. On average, it takes 66 days to make a habit. You want a habit for good or bad? It's going to take about 66 days. Now, here's the thing with a habit. Here's why I say this. Habits don't happen overnight. Habits don't just wake up and all of a sudden you have a new habit. No, they are the result of repeat decisions. And there's some of the Hebrews that have gotten in this habit where they have neglected meeting together with the church. Can we just acknowledge? That's not probably a very difficult habit to develop, right? You miss a Sunday because you're sick. It's not your fault. We just were sick. Well, then the next week, they had an epic snow on the pass, and you're like, man, I've got to go catch all that fresh powder. I can't miss out on that. The week after that, you're like, man, we had such a busy Saturday. We were doing all running around, and the kids had all the sports, and we had a date. And I woke up on Sunday, and I'm just tired. I want to sleep in. 
pretty soon it's been three weeks and you haven't been in church. But the fourth week, the fourth week, yeah, I made it to church. And you feel proud of yourself because you even made it on time. Praise God for that, right? Well, then the next week, you've got that work project that you're behind on. You're like, man, what am I going to, I'll just use Sunday to catch up on that project. And the more and more that time goes, it becomes easier to devote our energy to other things that we feel have a more immediate reward. It's not a hard habit to develop. And then to top it off, what happens is when we get into this rut where we are making this bad habit, we're not involved in church, is we catch up with one of our friends and we find the same thing has happened to them. They've gotten into the same habit of not being at church and all of a sudden you've got this bad habit, but you feel validated. You feel affirmed. You're not the only one. Others have gotten into that bad habit and they're doing fine as well. Their faith, their faith is still there. I feel validated. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, this is where the author is cutting straight to the point. And he's telling us, he's telling the Christians, do not accept this bad habit. It is a recipe for disaster. Now, I know you're sitting in your seat and you're like, Pastor Kevin, you're a little dramatic, aren't you? You mean not come to church for a few weeks? That's a recipe for disaster? I don't really believe that. Listen, the author's going to give us the reasoning in just a moment. First, it says in verse 25, do not neglect meeting together. The question is, what is the meeting? Don't neglect meeting together. What meeting are we talking about? We're talking about everything we do in the church. We're talking about what we do on Sunday mornings. We're talking about what we do in life groups. We're talking about what we do in our women's prayer time, and our prayer groups, and our Bible studies, and our youth group, and our kids' ministry, and all those things. It's saying that is the meeting together with the church. It is intentional, purposeful gathering together. The question is, well, when we gather together, what are we supposed to do? Well, actually, I don't know if that's really the question, but I'm going to throw it in there because I think this is good. I had an author, uh, read an author this week, and this is what he said. Summarize, what we do when we gather together with a church, we gather together to learn about God so that we grow in knowledge. We gather together to worship God so we grow in our adoration of him. We gather together to be ministered to by God's people so that we grow in godliness. Listen, let me say, all those things are true and incredibly valuable. But if that's all church is, that makes us consumers. If that's all church is, then we basically come to receive. That's the only reason we come to church. Well, the author of Hebrews is going to say, hold up. Church is way more than just those things. It's more than just consuming and receiving. I think he's going to say there's something even more important. In fact, look at verses 24 and 25. He says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting meeting together as some have had the habit but encouraging one another. He's saying, listen, listen, coming together as a church is not about us receiving. It's not about us being consumers and, and, and receiving religious services. It's about us stirring one another to love and to good works and encouraging one another. In fact, I would say this, the fourth reason why the church gathers together is that we can encourage one another so that we and them will grow in love. 
See, if we view the church, if, you, if we view the church as a goal, it's all about me. It's what I experience the love of God. The church is all about me where I can learn how to live a holy life. Listen, that's not the goal of the church. Hebrews says you are wrong. The goal of the church is that we would be an instrument in the life of others so that they would experience the love of God, so that they would live a life of holiness. You see what he's doing here? You say the church is not about you. No, there's a benefit for you. You are going to grow in these things, but the church is about you coming to being a blessing to someone else so that they would experience the love of God, so that they would be, live lives of holiness. In fact, let's just do this little exercise right now. Why don't you look around this room? This just be awkward. Look around the room. Look beside you, behind you, all around you. Listen, let me tell you a secret. The church is not about you. It's about these people in this room. It's about these teenagers over here who are trying to navigate life and faith and math class and dates and their future and all those other things they're going to do. Listen, church is about them. You know else who church is about? The couple right here that's got three young kids and they're like, we're just trying to get some sleep and, and keep our life in order. Life is about them. And, and we've got a couple of, of seasoned, seasoned couples over here. Can I say that? Seasoned couples over here trying to figure out, man, what does life look like when we enter these retirement years and our family's gone? And, and listen, life, I mean, church is about them. You see, as we gather with a church, it's not just a place where we receive it's not just a place where we grow in knowledge, where we worship God. Listen, those things are so significant and important. Don't get me wrong. They're significant and important. But it's not our primary purpose. They're not the only purpose is why we gather. We gather to figure out how we can help one another, how we can practice love, how we can live lives of good works, how we can encourage one another in this life. That is why we gather, folks. And I love this because the question is, well, how do I do this? Like, if that's the purpose of the church, how do I do this? The, the author tells us. He says in verse 24, he says, let us consider. Let us consider how we can do these things. Which implies there's some thinking that goes into it. There's some planning that goes into it. Encouraging one another requires an intentionality. Which means before we get to church... We are thinking, man, who needs a hug today? Who needs a word of love and encouragement? Who needs a kick in their pants? Sometimes that's what we have to do on Sundays. Who needs a word of encouragement? It means we're coming to church and we're praying and saying, God, give me some discernment today. Give me the right word to speak to the person who needs it. God, give me the eyes to see those who are hurting and struggling. And give me the courage to say something and to speak life to them. Now, we don't come to church aimlessly. We come on mission thinking, God, who have you put on my heart today? Who looks like they have the greatest need? Who needs love and encouragement and support today? <laughs> you might capture a little bit of uh, passion towards this idea. Why am I passionate about it? 
Why is the author passionate about us stirring one another to love and good works and encouraging one another? He gives us the answer. Verse 25, he says, Do not neglect meeting together as some have the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day that is drawing near. What is that day? What is a day that's drawing near? It's not the Super Bowl. It's not summer break. It's not your vacation. It's not whatever you have in front of you. Scripture is clear that this is the return of Jesus. Scripture is very clear that at the second coming of Jesus, as it draws near, our world is going to have increased chaos, temptation, and persecution, and hardship, and trouble, and stress, and satanic opposition. Scripture is clear that as the day of Christ's return approaches, this world is going to get pretty dark and difficult. You look around our world, you think that day's approaching soon? You feel like we live in that day? Can you flip on the news? You look around you, and you see the constant decay of our society, morally, politically, economically, spiritually. It's all around us. That this world is becoming difficult for us as Christians to live in. In fact, You think about the tragic shooting that happened at Circle K this week. I mean, what a horrible thing. Horrible for the victims. Horrible for the young man that committed the crime. I mean, it's just a horrible thing. You know, the funny thing is I've got some friends that are like, man, Yakima is such a horrible place. Look at all the bad things that happen in Yakima. Listen, this isn't a Yakima thing. This is an end times thing. This is happening all around us. This is not just a Yakima thing. This is the world we live in. We live in a dark place, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's happening everywhere. I don't think that we are far removed from what the Hebrews are experiencing. How long is it until we are going to be persecuted for our faith in our communities? How long before we're going to be dragged into court and mocked and humiliated because we hold those biblical values, because we stand for what this book teaches? How long until we're in that day and age? How long before being a Christian makes you a target? See, the point is, if we're going to persevere to the end in the midst of all the pressure and the, the darkness around us, We need one another. We need one another. This is how we stand strong. It's through the church that we are encouraging one another. Persevere. Keep your faith. Let's keep going on this thing. In fact, I've got this picture of the Redwoods from Redwood State Park in Santa Cruz. I'm in this pastoral cohort that I meet with another 10 pastors a couple times a year. We gather together to pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another, talk through stuff together. It has been so life-giving for me to gather with these guys and be able to be in this cohort. This past spring, though, uh, one of the pastors in Santa Cruz, California, he said, hey, come come down to my neck of the woods and and come and and we'll come and have that time together. And one of the things we did is he took us to this, this Redwood State Park in Santa Cruz. And we're looking at some of these trees. Now, these trees are remarkable. Some of these trees are the tallest trees in the world, hundreds and hundreds of feet tall. And some of these trees are said to be some of the oldest trees in the world. 
like, like thousands of years old. Like I didn't know how they count a tree when it's still alive, but they figured out, man, these trees are, are really, really, really old. And it's pretty remarkable. And my, my friend Drew, he's like, hey, you know what's remarkable about these trees? Is they've been standing here for centuries. And they've overcome windstorms, ice storms, earthquakes, all sorts of things, flooding. These trees have withstood all of that. He said, how do you think that happens? Now, of course, you get a bunch of pastors in the room, and we're all smart. We're like, man, it's because they're de- their roots are deep, right? Their roots are deep. They have got a lot of knowledge, and they're just, the roots are deep. And he's like, no, that's not it at all. The secret to these trees, the secret that have caused these trees to withstand all of this for centuries, he said the roots are intertwined and woven together. The roots are so connected that they're able to support one another with whatever trouble comes their way. Listen, folks, this is why the author warns us, do not neglect gathering together. The author is concerned about you. The author is concerned about these teenagers over here, the young family back here, the older couples on this side. The author is concerned that if we're going to persevere to the end, we're going to face opposition and difficulty and hardship. We need one another. We need one another to point us to love and good works and to encourage us to remain faithful. We need one another. hundred percent of the church is not perfect. The church is messy. Surely you can get better music and teaching online. Surely the church is not going to meet all of your needs. Surely, and I'll say this, at some point I'll disappoint you. It's true. But the church is absolutely necessary for us. It's not just about what we get. It's about what we contribute. In fact, the summary of this message is us, if we're going to persevere for the end, you need the church. And more importantly, it's not just the fact that you need the church, but this church needs you. These people in this room, they need you to come alongside them, to encourage them, to love them, to support them, to point them to the truth again and again and again. You need the church, and the church needs you. So here's our application. Three points of application. Number one, (laughs) we've got to make church a priority. Like, I'm not even going to elaborate much on this. We were talking about priorities and saying, how do we live the life that God's called us to live? How do we experience all that God has called us to experience? It starts by us making church a priority. It's got to be a priority over the sleeping in, all those other things that we have going on, we've got to make it a priority. Second thing, we've got to commit to the uncomfortable. Now, you may have noticed I, I enjoy sports. I've loved sports since I was a kid. Uh, my, my sport growing up was I played a lot of baseball. My kids, as they were growing up, my boys, I got them into Little League Baseball. They played Little League Baseball for years. And something weird happened, like, like eight years ago, nine years ago, one of my kids says, hey, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to sign up for cross country. And I'm like, what? What's that? 
It's like, that's, that's where you just run. You're not chasing a ball. You're, not, you're, you're just running. Well, my kids start getting interested in something. A good dad, you're going to start getting interested in that as well. And I love watching my kids run. I love seeing what running did for my kids, for their health and for them. And so it came a couple years ago, and I'm kind of like looking at my own health, and I'm like, man, i got to do something here. <laughs> Maybe you've been in that spot. If you're young, you haven't got there yet. You will get there. You come to a point in life where you're like, man, if I don't exercise, like, you've got to roll me everywhere I go. It's just the way it works. And so I decided i got to do something about my health, and I started to run. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I hated it. I still hate it. It is terrible. When you start running, man, at some point, it gets so uncomfortable. Your body begins to hurt. And when I say, like, your body, I mean, like, your entire body begins to hurt when you're running. There comes a point when you're running, and you're like, I can't breathe. I can't get enough oxygen in me. You're running, and you're like, you know what? Why am I doing this? I'm going to hurt so bad tomorrow. It's going to be terrible. You're running, and you're like, this is dumb. I want to quit. But when you push past the uncomfortable, when you push past the uncomfortable, you begin to see the benefits. And I began to see the benefits of me running. My physical health, my mental health, my energy. Isn't this true in so many things in life? That when you push past the uncomfortable, you see the benefits. Happens with our health, happens with our diet, happens with our habits, happens in our relationships. You push past the difficult, the uncomfortable, and then you begin to reap the benefits. It's the same thing in church. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be moments when church is uncomfortable, moments when church is messy. But we can't give up just because it gets uncomfortable. Because if we give up when it's uncomfortable, we are robbing ourselves of all that God desires to do in us and through us. In fact, I would say our lack of commitment to church, it actually stunts our faith and our growth as Christians. Listen, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. There is no perfect church. Inevitably, every church is going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. I mean, we had a, a friend of ours, and it was the funniest thing because he was going from church to church to church to church and church, and he had a criticism of every one of them. And I'm like, hey, here's the deal. You're not going to find a perfect church. But by your lack of commitment, you are actually stunting your faith. You're stunting what God wants to do in you and through you because you just won't plug in and get past the uncomfortable. I'll tell you what, if you're looking for a church, here, here's your criteria. Look for a church that is gospel-centered, that points people to Jesus and what he's done for you. Look for a church that is faithful in teaching this, faithful in teaching the word of God. Look for a church that will continue to point you to love God and love people. Listen, and if you find that church, jump in with both feet and push past the uncomfortable. Push past the messy because I tell you what, God will use it in your life and through the life of others. You push past that uncomfortable, not just for your own good, but also for the good of those around you. 
And guess what? Some of those things that you find to be uncomfortable and messy, maybe God calls you to be a part of, of, of making that better. You've got to commit to the uncomfortable. Number three, you've got to come to church, not just to consume, but to be used by God to love others. Some of us in here, we might think, well, I don't really need church. I can listen to spiritual stuff online. All sorts of resources available to me. I'm mature. I don't really need church. But I'll tell you what, church needs you. The people in this room, they need you. Just imagine what God could do. Imagine what God could do if each time we gathered together meeting in the church. And we said, God, what are you asking me to do today? Not, God, what are you going to ask me? What are you going to give me? What am I going to receive? But what if we, every one of us, what if when we gathered together, we said, God, what is it you want me to do today? God, who do you want me to serve? God, who am I supposed to help? Who do you want me to encourage? Because I'll tell you what, ministry and discipleship, that is where it happens not by me standing up and telling you about Scripture for 45 minutes. 35 minutes if I'm really good that day. That's not where ministry happens. Ministry happens with each other when we are loving one another and doing what God calls us to do. That is where church happens. It happens when each one of us come together with a purpose. God, what do you want me to do today? This is why I say church Listen, church doesn't start at 10 a.m. And church doesn't end at 11.20 when one of the girls prays a prayer and says, you're dismissed. No, that is when church is just getting started. The best part of church, the most important part of church happens in the foyer. It happens in these aisles. It happens in the parking lot. It happens when each one of us play our part in loving and encouraging one another. Again, look around this room. Look around the people in this room. They need you to prioritize the church. They need your smile. They need your hug. They need your encouragement. They need your support. They need you to pray for them. They need that. And guess what? During the week, they need you. This church, we need you to call people we don't see. We need you to, to reach out to someone going through a hard time. We need you to take an interest in other people of what's going on in their lives. You know what happens when we do this? When we prioritize church. When we come to church not just to receive, but we come to church to say, God, what is it I'm supposed to do today? This is when the gospel spreads like wildfire. This is when we see families and neighborhoods and communities transformed by the power of Jesus. Do you realize that is when it happens? When we figure out how to live this life as a church? Where it's not about consuming, it's about giving and loving and encouraging? In fact, I'm going to close with a quote that I heard 11 years ago. 11 years ago, Sam and I went to a church planting conference before we planted the church, before restoration ever existed. 
We went to this conference, and this was a quote. It said, people are hungry for acceptance, for love, and for friends. And unless they find that in the church, you often will not stay long enough to become personally related to Jesus. People are often, usually are not persuaded to Jesus. People are usually attracted to him. Here's what that means. People coming to church, people getting plugged in, people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. It's not necessarily because we have a great worship team up here who sings some great songs. It's not because we have a pastor up here who tells some pretty corny jokes and mediocre preaching. It's not because we've got good systems and ushers and everything to get people plugged in and involved. No, people often will come to faith in Jesus as a result of relationships in this room. Rather than us persuading them. And if we as a church, if we, the people, if we are not actively loving one another and encouraging one another and stirring up one another to love and good works and caring for one another. You know what we actually are doing? We become a hindrance to the spread of the gospel. We become a hindrance to people coming and have their lives changed by Jesus. And this is why I'm passionate about this. Because I want to see lives touched. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see addictions broken. I want to see marriages healed. I want to see sickness healed. I want to see these things. I want to see these young people set on fire for God to, 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 be, to make a difference in the world. And I can stand up here for as long as I can and try and persuade people to do that. The most effective way for us to do those things is for us to actually be the church, to prioritize being together, and coming together, not just to say, God, what are you going to give me? Pastor Kevin, what are you going to give me today? I came to, to hear your funny joke and to hear your great preaching. No, we come together and say, God, what is it you want me to do today? Who do I need to encourage? Who do I need to give a hug to? Who do I need to call and say, I've missed you. Where have you been? That is when we be the church. And I'll say it again. If we're going to persevere to the end, if you're going to persevere to the end, you need the church, you need the people in this room to say, I care about you and I'm going to encourage you when you need it. I'm going to give you a kick in your pants when you need it. And I'm going to give you a hug when you need it. And just as much, these people in the room, they need you. They need 